0: Hey, good morning. Hi, everyone. Super super fun. Hi, James. Super fun. Mitch, thank you for singing. It's so beautiful. Thank you. It's really fun to be with you this morning. You know, like you, um, I've gone through some significant paradigm shifts in my walk with Jesus and understanding what it means to follow him, to be a Christian and to grow in Christ. Lots of them, but two of them really stand out. Um, The first one I would uh, like to call, what for spirituality? I've been a youth pastor for most of my career, for decades, loving adolescents and uh, their parents. And, uh, you know, uh, the the, the paradigm in which I grew up in is that the the goal, the, the real goal with kids is to lead them to a place where they'll pray a prayer and ask Jesus into their heart so they can secure their spot in heaven. And so that, that's what our aim was. That's what our goal was. You know, go to, go to camp and, you know, you, you commit your life to Jesus. And little by little, I noticed students were then asking me, well, what's next? Okay, I did that. I did, I did the big thing. And that's so important to surrender our life to Jesus and say yes to him and say, come, you can have my life. But then I had more students say, well what's next? And I began to really uh, wrestle with that. And I noticed the answers that kids were getting from the adult world, including their parents. And uh, it was, well, now just don't sin. <laughs> don't sin. And, and that was translated mostly to students as don't have sex and don't do drugs. That, that, was, that was the message that they received, no matter how we thought we were saying it, and you're a 15-year-old high school student who said, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I prayed to prayer. Now, from here on out, I'm just supposed to not have sex and not do drugs. Like, Dallas Willard calls this the gospel of sin management. And that's what we have grown up with. And that's part of what this series is trying to unpack. Maybe even if you like the word deconstruct a bit. I said it, James, yeah. So um, the gospel of sin management is now that you're in Christ, your job now is to manage your sin. And that's a frustrating journey. At least I have found it to be quite uh, frustrating. What I discovered is that students and all of us need a much bigger vision for what this thing is that we're doing. A much grander vision, a, a vision that comes from the heart of God that ignites the soul of each one of us, of our students that, that says, oh, living with Jesus is more than just not sinning. It's partnering with him and making this world a better place to align with the vision and heart of Jesus. The second big um, Shift I went through has been actually more recently, and it's um, it's fueled by a guy named Pete Cazero who has developed the emotionally healthy spirituality book series and um, speaking and writing and uh, lately um, rich villados and John Mark Comer, those of you who may be more familiar with them they've they've carried this vision on and basically what Pete Scazzaro, who was a pastor for 25 years, looking at his own life and the life of the leaders in his church, he said, We have this problem where we separate emotional maturity from spiritual maturity. And and he said, It's impossible to be spiritually mature and to still remain emotionally immature. And we can compartmentalize and separate them out. And we read our Bible and we do all sorts of things. We can even be in leadership, we can be a pastor. And yet we've got these dark pockets of emotional immaturity that might be anger or pride. And we give that a pass because we're doing God things. And um, kind of like it was an explosion for me to discover that inside of me was all sorts of emotional immaturity. And yet I'd been a pastor for decades. We're in this series we're calling it Transformation, How to Change for Good or How to Change for the Better. How do, we, how do we change? How do we move on to become spiritually and emotionally mature? How do we answer the question, so now what? And it's all about transformation. Todd kicked us off, and um, we talked about belief. He talked about belief, that our, our belief, our belie- what we believe shapes our actions, the mind, And then last week, Taylor helped us with belonging, the power of community, how important it is to be in community. We need each other in this journey of of transformation. And this morning, we're talking about become, becoming. And I'm going to suggest that lasting change happens best from the inside out. The inside out. That, that's, that's the idea I want to percolate. And I'm actually probably not going to answer a lot of questions. I'm certainly not going to make too many suggestions. In fact, I may bug you a little bit. Or I'm hoping that there, there are new ways of thinking and that this is like a sand in the oyster, you know, that, that kind of irritates. Um, it's like fresh, you know, it, it creates something new. And that's why we do grounded groups or just in discussion, because the, the place to work this out is not here on Sunday morning in the sermon. It's it's with your friends, talking it through. Like, like what does that mean? What are the implications of that? And one of our key verses is Galatians 4.19. Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul is a man had the slightest idea what the pains of childbirth were like. Brittany Schroeder does. Brittany gave birth to a beautiful little daughter, Sadie, on Thursday. So, uh, Brittany and a lot of you women know what the pains of childbirth are like, but nonetheless, Paul's using it as a metaphor I am again in the pains of childbirth, and here it is, until Christ is formed in you. And that's the key word, form. It's a morph. It's, 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 It's transformation. And the transformation is so that Jesus actually is formed in us, that our inner world begins to take on the shape, the character of Jesus you might think of uh, the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. That transformation, slow but steady. If you're of a certain age, you remember the mighty morphin Power Rangers. Anyone uh, fans of the? Yeah, of course, yeah. And uh, and what did, what would they do? You know, they would they would morph. They'd move from being you know live bodied teenagers to the Power Rangers. Well, that's sort of what we're talking about. Um, and. Todd used the verse, Romans 12, 2, um, and, and I, I want to I read it again from the message, because I think this is really a cool translation, Romans 12, 2. You're probably really familiar with it in another translation, but this is what Eugene Peterson, how he shapes it. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you, to see the, what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Jesus, you have my life. I'm going to make room for you in my life. And then he goes on to say, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, there's a very powerful external force of our culture that will shape us into its mold. He says, be be careful of that. And then he ends by saying, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Fix your attention on God. This is a... Inward, transformative life. We, we change from the inside out. But here's, here's one of the challenges. Here's one of the problems is that we, we do live in a quick fix world. Our, our culture will say, get it done, be efficient. You can knock this out. You can fix your problems quickly. And uh, it doesn't work that way. And so sometimes when the internal transformation is not happening, we substitute with some externals. Um, what I would call, quoting the song that we sang, um, that Mitch sang, the walls of religion. We easily will begin to build walls of religion around us in a substitute for true inner transformation. And and these are usually good things. They're good things, but they become uh, a religious prop because we know the work's not happening inside. Going to church, the idea of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I go to church even when my wife isn't here. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm regular, you know, I'm a, I'm a churchgoer. Now, we deeply believe that being part of a community in a, in a worship setting like this is, is a design of Jesus, but not as a prop to make us feel good about, I'm doing good with God because I go to church. It might even be other good things like um, like praying and reading your Bible. Um, I, I remember growing up, I thought, oh, that's the secret to the Christian life. I'm supposed to pray, read my Bible, and witness to people. And if I do those three things, I'm doing the right thing. Well, praying and reading the Bible are really, really good, important. But, you know... If you're carrying on, you got like five days on, under your belt, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm really doing good. I'm going to that study, and I'm reading every morning, and I, I feel like i got a prayer list. And then we begin to feel like our relationship with Jesus is going good. So it's a religious prop. Um, it might even be that we're all about correct doctrine, and I am definitely on board with correct doctrine. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of heresy, uh, and a lot of the New Testament that Paul, you know, penned was, was kind of combat bad thinking and bad theology. But I've seen it grow to a point where we're so obsessed with correct theology that it becomes sort of a judgmental theology, like a like a like a um, a weapon to, to pound on people because they're they're not doing it correctly. Like I'd rather be right than loving is the is the spirit. Um, and my dad is interesting. Um, my dad—he uh, grew up in a in a in a very strictly rules-based church, and he grew up where the rules were for you—you you, you, um, you don't um, go to dances, and you don't play cards, and you go to movies. And probably very few of us have ever been raised in that kind of an environment. But he's a bit older than all of us. And it was that era where you defined your spirituality by what you didn't do. And the, the funny thing is, is my dad told me, he says, you know what? I would skip school and go to f- movies all the time. And I found a way to get to the dance. Um, he, he discovered freedom um, in his walk with Jesus and, and broke out of that. But it's easy to create rules, almost even unspoken rules, that if you do this, then you'll measure up and you'll be part of the club and you you fit in. The funniest one is, in my last year of graduate school, I was in seminary in Chicago, and it was attached to an undergraduate college, a Christian college, and so we all intermingled and played, you know, inter sports and volleyball together, and I took my meals in the dining room um, where the college students ate, and it was really funny on Sundays, there's something I discovered. On Sundays, there, was, there were students, of course, you know, who really didn't want to go to church, but it was a, sort of an obligation. It was kind of a rule, you know, that, hey, you're a good Christian, you go to a Christian college, of course you're going to go to church on Sunday morning. And the, more and more, there was a group of students who would sleep in, skip church, and then wake up and put on church clothes <laughs> and go to lunch. Like, hey, look at me. I, you know, and it's just funny, they weren't faking anybody out. It was just really kind of a, a, a funny deal. So so here's the problem. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 23. And um, we'll, we'll zero in on this chapter that if you have a Bible translation that puts the words of Jesus in red, you'll notice that the entire chapter is red. Like Jesus is going off on the religious people, the rule, the rule keepers, the rule makers, the, the ones who made the rules and propped up their religiosity. And Jesus finally has enough of them. So it's all red. Because these are the woes of Jesus to these um, teachers of the law and the hypocrites. And, you know, you can just see it. It's like, whoa, it, it's scathing what Jesus says to these guys but that's not why I picked this chapter. I didn't pick this chapter that anyone in this room would feel like, oh, well, Bill's going to call out hypocrisy in the river. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not picking this passage because of what Jesus says to them. I'm picking it out because of the nuance of what he says is the heart of the issue. So just two verses. Look at Um, 23, verse 25 and 26. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, in this context, if Jesus were to call out anyone, he'd be calling out those of us who are pastors, those of us who are leaders, not, you know, the crowd. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So I'm elevating this verse to get us thinking about what Jesus is talking about. It's not this external forms of religion that get us to a place of transformation. It's something that's happening inside. So the key here is that lasting spiritual transformation happens from the inside out, not the outside in. Jesus focused on the center. Jesus always goes after the heart. And that's why he was never put off by people who were considered to be less than spiritual or religious. It's why Jesus could go to the man that was infected with leprosy where everyone else would run from him and call him unclean. Do not touch him. You'll become unclean. And Jesus could walk right up to him and embrace him. And just the amazing, miraculous beauty of Jesus transformed this man. It's, it's the reason because Jesus always looks at the heart where he could relate to a woman who was supposedly caught in adultery. And while the religious leaders wanted to pick up stones and stone her to death, Jesus would draw in the dirt and say, hey, the one of you that has no sin, why don't you go ahead and toss the first stone? And they walked away and he looked at her looked her right in the eye, looked right into her heart and said, where are your accusers? She said, there aren't any. And he says, I don't either. I don't accuse you either. Because he was able to see her heart. It was what her heart mattered. I'll give you, I think, a really silly illustration. But uh, imagine you um, own a big ranch. Might be in Yellowstone. I'm not sure, but you got a lot of horses. you got a ton of horses and... um, and your, friend, your, your neighbors say, hey, if you got horses, you got to build a bunch of fences because it's the only way you're going to keep your horses around. So build a, build a nice fence to keep them in. And you get this idea, well, you know, horses really need hay. They need to be fed well. They need to, to have their, their inner longings of food satisfied. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put bales of hay right in the center of my field. And then all the horses come from wherever they are. And they come into the center to the, to the bales of hay. And they find care and comfort and sustenance there. And like, why, why do I need to go? Now, I know you can poke all sorts of holes in my analogy. It's just a very simple analogy to say, Jesus is the hay. Jesus is the hay. The more the trajectory of our life and heart moves towards Jesus, the less we need fences. The less we need rules, the less we need to look religious and spiritual by putting on Sunday best clothes. Jesus invites us to be his disciples. That's, that's like his, his apprentices. Really, it means to be learners, learners of Jesus. Learners, and we'd like to say following the words and ways of Jesus. That's the journey that we're on, so that And here's a Dallas Willard idea. So that we can learn how to live our lives the way Jesus would live our life if he were us. Not to live Jesus' life. He did that in the first century. But to live our lives the way Jesus, in our everyday waking, sleeping, working, family life, the way he would live it if he were in our situation. So that Christ may be formed in you And he may teach you how to live your life in 2023 in the midst of all the stuff that's in your world. So we're progressively surrendering our mind, our emotions, our our will, surrendering our will to Jesus. Our bodies, these actual bodies, surrendering them to Jesus through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now here, this is really important. I want you to hear me because this is the turn. We're not trying to follow Jesus by stamping out greed and self-indulgence. That's the message the high schoolers got. What now? Stop sinning. You, you You need to stop doing that. Get rid of that. No, what Jesus' invitation is, is to become the kind of person... Where greed and self-indulgence have lost their grip. Do you you catch the nuance, the difference? If you say, I I just got to get rid of this self. I got to stop being so selfish. Darn it, I did it again. Stop it. I'm going to get some accountability partners. I'm going to stop being selfish. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to invite you onto a journey where I'm formed in you And you begin to take on my character so that being selfish is less appealing. There's no three easy tricks to that. But it's not different action. It's a different becoming. And that's why we've labeled this week becoming. So to put simply, it's being with Jesus to become like Jesus. Now, Uh, Dallas Willard has really informed my thinking on this, and he came up with an acronym, VIM, V-I-M. And it's basically the process, sort of a process we can think about for any life change. If you are an athlete and you want to get in shape, if you're going to run a triathlon and you want to increase your times, you use this process. If you want to learn how to cook better, you use this process. If you're hoping to lose weight because you've learned how to cook better, you use this process as well. So V stands for vision. It's having a, a Jesus-ignited vision for what life in the kingdom can be like. You know, um, God created everything, and everything was good. Eden was perfect for humanity, and we are given the responsibility to care for it, intend it, take care of it, build it, raise families. And you know right away it went south really quick, and the rest of the Bible... The rest of the Bible is God's initiative to restore us to Eden. With the end of the Bible saying, heaven and earth are gonna come together and Eden will be restored. The vision that Jesus gives us is join me in the partnership of God's restoration project. Wherever you see injustice, wherever you see heartache, wherever you see someone being mistreated, step in. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's an amazing vision. The I stands for intention. And here's where we get tripped up a lot. We have to initiate and bring into being those things, the factors that would bring the vision to reality. And and here's frankly where I've struggled so often. Because I get a vision, I get excited. I go to the men's weekender and I, oh man, yes! this new excitement and vision, and we feel momentum, but we don't actually intend to change. We mean well, but we have to say, you know what? This is so important to me that I'm going to rearrange my life in order to make it happen. And then the M stands for means. The means are some basic, practices. Um, uh, It's replacing the broken inner character in my life with the inner character of Jesus using the the available means. And and we're calling those um, spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And that's where you use something, say like um, solitude and silence. Not because solitude and silence in and of itself is a good thing. But it's using solitude and silence to break the grip of hurry, busyness, and anxiety in our lives. And in the midst of that, quietness and solitude and silence, the Holy Spirit can begin to work on something that will show up over here. And we do all this as individuals, but we also do it in community, as Taylor beautifully encouraged us last week. So let me close with... um, Sort of three ways that my life in the last three years has really begun to kind of change and wrestle with these things has been a, a, a very difficult journey. In fact, someone told me that, you know, we actually don't change until it really hurts. Um, when, when you're up against the wall and, and the pain is deep enough, the crisis is big enough, You say, I I can't keep going this direction. I don't don't want this anymore. So here's three ways that have been really helpful for me um, because I've been involved in all three. Number one, some change comes because we do see a beautiful vision of what the good life looks like, the beautiful life. We capture that vision. For me, it was sort of the opposite. It was I kept having a vision of what my life was actually like, and I was tired of it. Jesus, I don't want to be that person anymore. Now, I'm not talking about gross sin. I'm talking about the internal stuff in my character that continued to trip me up and drag me down. I don't don't want to keep living this way. I want a beautiful life. I want a good life. I want to be free. So we get a vision A beautiful vision. Jesus has a beautiful vision for each one of us. Secondly, other change comes through deeper internal work. I mean, really deep work. Hard, deep work. Which means that we have to get at the root of our behavior and our patterns that normally go way back to our family of origin. And and we see those played out in our life. We go, where is that coming from? Well, it's coming from the context, the environment in which you've raised, which you've been raised, and your response to that environment over the years. And you can see how that impacts families and marriages, parenting, and some change is going to be best facilitated by someone like a trained, competent therapist. Getting in and getting way down to the root. And I've told you this here before, but Cynthia dying was the precipitating event in my life of crisis and grief and sadness. How am I gonna recover? How do I go forward? What's the vision for my life? And I saw a therapist every week for two years. Save my life. Uh, I see that therapist now once a month. Um, and we dealt with my grief over Cynthia, but then the layer started coming off and getting at the really deep, the, the deep stuff, family patterns. It's a scary place to go. That's where the eye of intention comes in. Do I really intend to change, or am I just going to stay up here and keep status quo. It's hard work. It is really hard work. And then finally, other change comes as a result of of a longer focus on spiritual practices and habit change. And this takes time. There's no quick fix. We have this beautiful vision, we're dealing with the roots and deep ingrained patterns, and then we're beginning to find alternative practices and habits that help us little by little take on the character of Jesus. You know, if you're watching the Lakers uh, play the Warriors, you might think of Steph Curry and what an amazing athlete he is. And how he can pull up um, and drop a three-pointer is just incredible. You know what? It's not like Steph Curry woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a world-class athlete, an NBA superstar, Hours and hours and hours of practice shooting three-pointers, learning how to pass. That, that, the spiritual practices are just, they're something that we begin to practice because on the spot, if we have self-indulgence and greed in us, on the spot, in the moment, greed and self-indulgence are going to come out. It just It just does. The stuff that's really inside, in the moment when you're pushed, you may have a biblical worldview, but hey, sister, (laughs) your real view comes out in the moment, and that's where spiritual practices come in. This summer, I'm really excited. We're going to do a three, four-month series talking about some of the spiritual practices to get into it, and so more later The Holy Spirit works with us in and through all three of these, the vision, the deep work, and spiritual practices. He works with us. And I just want to remind you that um, Jesus won't do this work for us. It's it's not a prayer. It's not, oh, um, you know, Jesus, I don't want to be greedy anymore. Please take my greediness away. Jesus, I, I'm tired of my pride. Please take my pride away. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, no, um, I'll work with you, but you've got to do the work. There, there, there's something that you can do. And that's not opposed to grace. We are saved by grace. We are welcomed into God's presence by grace and grace alone through our faith placed in Jesus and his life and his death and his, his resurrection. Um, that's That's settled. That prayer that, 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 that secures our place with God, it's settled as we turn our life over to Jesus initially. But then, then there's a beautiful journey where we engage with the Holy Spirit and we make room in our lives for this to happen. So I want to invite the worship team up and I'm just going to ask you to just, as we, as we get ready to move into communion, just close your eyes for a moment. Our will is so important in this process, and I just want to invite you, for what it's worth in your own inner being, your own heart, to just say, Holy Spirit, I give you my heart. Holy Spirit, I give you my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Denise, why don't you come and lead us into communion.
1: Jesus we love your words that remind us to take your body and to take your blood and do this often to remember you and God it's like um, he puts his hand in ours and we abide in him and we look to him and we look to what he did on the cross and It reminds us of the deep work he did and continues to do in our life. So, Father, this morning, um, in community, this morning we take the bread. And we take the cup. And Father, even in my own life, just um, having my stepdad face his last days, on the outside I can come this morning, but on the inside, I need you desperately. So Father, whatever we bring this morning, whatever we're fighting internally, emotionally, What we're fighting physically. God, we look to you. We look to the cross. We look to Jesus. And we just thank you for your body and blood that saves us. But also that gives us hope moment by moment in our life. That partnership. The hope of the cross. The hope of resurrection. Death and resurrection, God. And we remember your son. So let's take the bread. And just as you take the bread and swallow the bread, remember Jesus' body given for you. His sacrifice, but his partnership. And as you take the blood, the same. The blood was shed for you and for me thousands of years ago. But what it represents today for whatever you bring into this room this morning, remember him. And Lord, just like Bill said, This is one step to invite you into those deep places in our life that we don't show when we walk in, but we carry. But it will take many moments, inviting you again and again, remembering your sacrifice that can actually change our inside and give us peace Hope, renewal, forgiveness, love, patience, and life, life in places that are just dead inside. So we dedicate ourselves to you once more, God. Thank you for your son.
2: Will you stand with me as we finish in worship? That our prayer this morning, you'd give us vision and you'd help us, you'd guide us with the intention that we would draw away with you, whether it's silence and solitude, prayer, going to the beach and beholding the beauty that you've created, God, whatever that looks like, would you guide us, would you teach us, would you draw us into your spirit and your presence? There is no safer place to be than in the presence of God. So Lord, may this work go deep inside of us. We love you, God. Let your presence saturate our souls this morning. Saturate every part of us. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. Bless you guys, we'll see you next week.